morning, Roxy Soxy. And good afternoon, Tam Tam. We know the time places. difference. We're I in know. two different places. I'm in Australia and you're in Los Angeles, I think. <laughs> Tell I me what's going on. What's it. happening? Oh my God, Tamin. Tamin. What's happening? Tammin. Tell me what's happening. Tell me all the things. So, all the things that Miss Auntie Tamin can't fix for yes, you. Yes. But you were going to. So we did it in Miami. Hooray. You had sex? Yeah. But now I think that's going to bite me in the ass because my husband has coronavirus. <laughs> Imagine you so. got coronavirus because you had sex. I know. Wait, you had sex? I'm so proud of you. Yeah. How was it? We did it. We did it. It was good. How I was it? it? It was great because it was, um, what do you call it? Hotel room. You know, the hotel room <gasps> sucks. I'm so proud because it's been a minute. So he yeah, must have uh, lasted two seconds. <laughs> it was a magical 60 seconds. It was a magical <laughs> 60 seconds. Did you enjoy it? Yes, I totally did. And now it. you like, why the fuck did it take so long like, to do this? <laughs> It's why so, did I wait so long when it's so good? That's why I tell people who are like, oh, I haven't had sex for a while. I'm like, you know, it's good, right? Yeah, it's you know, so when you good. do it, like it feels good. Yes. Oh, my God. So we did it. And we were all like lovey dovey cute at the airport. Like we were like having these little moments where we were like pressing against yeah. each other in the yes, tram. Yes, after like, sex, that's what you do. So great. It was so great. And then we got home. You know, we finally got back like late Monday night. And then on Thursday, my husband was like, my throat feels a little itchy and I was like oh, oh really God. I'm like oh you're probably like run down or whatever from um traveling and you you're still being to... nice to him because you had sex yes and I was still being we were having a great week <laughs> and then <laughs> Friday rolls around and he's like mm, no my throat is getting worse and I'm like uh oh he's like I feel really tired too and he just slept like two hours in the middle of the day which he like never which does rare yeah like, that's weird and he's like you know what just to be safe i think i'm gonna have a coronavirus test tomorrow morning which was yesterday morning so i was like okay so he went he took a nap in the morning before he went to go get the test after he had woken up and he went to go get the test came back home we get the call last night at like 7 p.m oh yep you are positive for coronavirus so now, I mean, he's double vaccinated. Thank gosh. So you know. they say if you get COVID being vaccinated, it should be mild. Mild. That's like they said 100%. Mm-hmm. And this is just what I read. 100% of the uh, positive COVID cases in the hospital are unvaccinated. 100%. Yes, that, 100%. So, so like- there's no, um, and I know it can happen, but there is not that likely for him to go to the hospital. Thank goodness. He's been vaccinated. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah, he and I are both double vaccinated since March. The only thing I worry about is my daughter because she's not vaccinated. She's too young right. to get vaccinated. But then they do have a lesser of a chance of chance. To, like, you know, so yeah. That's what I'm hoping. Like so far, she and I feel fine. So I'm hoping it just kind of stays on that trajectory. When's the last time you saw him? So he has been quarantining in the room. Like he'll kind of peek out like i have to go and deliver food you know it, on a tray like uh, by the door and like he has you to wear a mask you wearing a yes. mask when you go mask there? Okay, gloves good. like he's in a good. mask and gloves like he's quarantining in the guest room so like we switch out like i have like the lysol spray and like you know it's the whole mm-hmm. i kind of felt like mm-hmm. i was channeling you a little bit like earlier this year I yeah like, damn i'm like should i put up the plastic <laughs> two weeks coating? you can't leave that room though i mean yeah that's the thing you can't leave the room so he had work travel plan this week he has a huge um work event tomorrow night with megan fox like 
that he now mm. can't go to. He was supposed to travel to Texas for work this week. All of that is canceled. So you think no. probably because everything's got, like back on track and he's been traveling so much, he's just been exposed to more chance, right? That's what I think. But, you know, we were in Florida this past week. And I mm-hmm. I know right now they're saying on the news that that's sort of a hotbed for right, this right. Delta variant. So, I mean, who knows where, I mean, it the incubation period sounds about right that it would have been in Florida, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it could have been anywhere there though, you know? You know what, you're just going to have to let me know if you need anything and if you test positive, but I think you guys are going to be Oh my God, Tam, and I need all your good, like, healing juju. (laughs) (laughs) I do not think it'll get anywhere close to what Sean had. You don't think so? Okay, good. No, being double vaxxed, I just don't. I really don't. Yeah. I I have high, look, I know you can get COVID being vaccinated, but I have high hopes that it's definitely not as as intense okay good good because that yeah, makes me I think feel you're better gonna be okay because then i was like great i'm having sex <laughs> here i go the one it's time i have sex i get covered <laughs> damn it <laughs> well someone who doesn't have covid and is here with me doing a movie is one of my favorite people her name is Madeline West. She's an author. She's an activist. She's a writer. Um, she's an incredible actor who I was actually on a show called Home and Away, and she was on a show called Neighbors at the same time. But we never really crossed paths, but we kind of, you know, came up together in Australia. And she is one of the most intelligent, kind, soulful, interesting human beings on the planet. I adore her so much. And hello, Madeline West. Yay, Madeline. I don't need to take any vitamins ever again. I've just had the biggest serotonin hit from all of those compliments, all that gratitude. I feel like I could have given so much more, but, you know, we got to get into this podcast. I feel like my head out the door of the hotel to go to work. So no, no more. No more. I love it because I feel like you guys had like, because you got one was on Home and Away and the other was on Neighbors. It's like the Dallas and the Dynasty, like, yes. Are you trying to say we need to have like a Crystal Alexa style showdown? Oh, yes. I'm into that. Do you think we could get that scene written in, Tamara? I do. You know, it's just it was so surreal when you when I saw that you were on this movie, because it's weird. Like you and I have been in this business for 20, like 20 to 25 years. I'm like, oh, I'm so old. My mom sent me an old picture of me when I was 17, like on Home and Away. And I was like, how did it go so fast? But like we knew of each other. And I feel like we were literally living sort of similar lives at the time. But we I'm never sure really passed each other at the Logies on multiple occasions. The Logies is Australia's version of the Emmys. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. With okay. a lot more reality TV stars and a lot more lip gloss. But apart Ooh. from that, they're practically the same. Um, I'm sure we passed, we, we're like ships passing in the night. We've passed so many times. We've probably done photo shoots together, et cetera, et cetera. And um, didn't you date the hem, one of the Hemsworths at one <gasps> stage? See, oh, my goodness. <laughs> we are not going to talk about this. We are not going to talk. Oh, my goodness. How- how she tries to distract with his blue blue. I'm just saying that, you know, I worked, I've worked with a couple of Hemsworths. My kids all go to the same school as them now. We're all on the same street. So it's like kismet. It was destined yeah, to happen. It was meant to be. And they were always, you know, I was, because I was looking, I don't know, I stumbled on one of their Instagrams recently and I was like, you know, they were just, I don't know them very well, obviously now, but back then, because Chris Hemsworth was on um, Home and Away, uh, mm. when I left, he kind of joined. 
And he was just always the nicest person, very grounded, down to earth. What you see is what you get. No bullshit. And I'm assuming and hoping that he's still the same thing. And I I feel like he probably is because Australia will not let you. If you have an ego, they will rip you apart. Yeah, I love that they keep you guys in check. You know, it's like not get too big for your britches. But you know, it's such an Australian thing. It's like what? Like you get onto it. Everyone's very lovely on Australian set, but having worked on both US and Australian sets now, in the US it is very much so. What can we do for you? We want you. We we understand you're doing really long hours. We want to make this as as easy as possible. But in Australia, it's like what? You want some food? (laughs) Inside of there. Cup of tea over there. Go on, just make yeah. sure you're back in 35 minutes. So, you know, they talk about keeping it real. It's very yeah. much like that. And I definitely think the Hemsworths are a product of that. Mm. Um, and they have, you know, terrific family values. They're a very close-knit family. Their parents are very strict about, you know, um, integrity and working hard. And I think that's translated to all of the kids. They're also a very hot knit family. How do you guys do it? Roxy's like, how did they get so hot? (laughs) I know. It's like these Australian men are just all like these like strapping, like gorgeous, you know, very like surfing. Is that what it is? It's It's the sun. It's the sand. Um, We do. Look, we definitely have a strong very iconic social identity about masculinity, about mm-hmm. working hard and getting out on the land. But let's not delude ourselves. We've just we've got just as many saucy metrosexuals in our city, cities floating around. And <laughs> you know, we've embraced the gender fluidity vibe big time. So you know, we've still got our outback jacks, but we've got um you know, we've got all the bits and pieces. But, yeah, that's very much part of our our blue-collar identity, that kind of the hard-working, hard-yakka man. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's hope we hold on to that. Yeah. You know, we were chatting on set, and one of the biggest stories that was around, um, you know, a few years back was, and I wanted to get into this as soon as we can because I know that um, – what actually happened to you also translated into a lot of how you felt as a woman and as your identity when it came to being an actress and, um, you know, changing kind of who you were as a person was that you told me this story, which I think a lot of Australians know when you were walking down Oxford street and you actually got hit by a bus and you got hit by a bus in the face. And I want you to recap if you can, if it's not too traumatic, that experience and what it, taught you and what the narrative was surrounding that experience um, and how it shaped your life. Absolutely. And I'm going to preface it by saying, you know, I've always wanted to be the kind of girl who stops traffic, just preferably next time, not with my face. (laughs) (laughs) In the bay by a bus. Uh, it was, I was in Oxford Street, Sydney. It was during our neighbours, my neighbours days, your home and away days. I'd flown up to Sydney straight after a full day of shooting and to host a kids helpline charity Mm. and I arrived at nine o'clock at night the hotel restaurant was closed they said go across the road there's a lot of convenience stores so I did that went across the road and all I remember is is standing next to a bus stop I was on the pavement looking for the traffic lights which I knew corresponded with the entry of my hotel Mm -hmm. because I'd never been to Oxford Street before I looked left I looked right and that's the last thing I remember the bus had been speeding it was 9 9 30 10 o'clock at night in a busy you know urban setting and had mounted the pavement coming into the bus stop 
and collected me. So it hit me right there mm-hmm. and it threw me a couple of feet and I landed on the ground, skidded on the ground, lost all the skin down one side of my oh. face. And um, in terms of diagnostics, I had three skull fractures. So my skull was fractured there, there, mm-hmm. and under the brain shelf, all caved in. Um, I had a crush injury, which means that the skin dies on impact. They had to basically mm. cut it all off. And I had oh a God. skin graft, which came from my butt, which my kids love because that makes me a butt head. <laughs> <laughs> that goes one more time. They're right. They're right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I burst all the blood vessels in my ears. I broke half all my teeth. I had an, a significant acquired brain injury because I'd had mm-hmm. uh, two cerebral hematomas. The brain inside its socket from impact ricocheted mm-hmm. in the skull. And the skull, the interior of our skull is a series of needles and that punctured my brain at several points. So there's a lot of ble- bleeding on my brain. Mm. I had air bubbles mm. in my brain cerebellum because the fracture under my brain shelf didn't heal and it was mm. it ruptured the um, cerebral sac so that brain fluid was running down my throat, which is mm. very attractive. But um, often we've discussed this in life. We, we go through a series of near misses, you know, Something happens, realistically, the statistics are of someone bodily hit by a speeding bus, 99.5%, uh, 95.9% of people end up dead. Mm-hmm. And of those who mm-hmm. don't, they have lifelong physical or psychological mental injuries. And I've come out with a stutter and some broken teeth and a dodgy eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps most significantly, Coming, I've been acting since I was five and I was a stage mm. actor who moved into television. And I often say I think that bus accident was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because at the time of the accident I was 21 and I looked at my face. So the accident happened, I went into hospital. Someone saw my wallet while I was lying in the gutter. So I came into the hospital as a Jane Doe. No one knew who I was. My agent thankfully got a call from the kids' helpline saying Madeline didn't show up for rehearsals. Is she okay? He called neighbours. They said, we put her on the plane. Don't know what's happened. He then called all the police stations, all the hospitals, and they said, yeah, we have a Jane Doe matching that description. She's been hit by a bus. So he (sighs) scrambled in and they were about to do surgery on me. And he said, she's an actor. You need to do it precariously so I could have just had horrible scarring as it was he found a plastic surgeon who re-stitched my face and used skin grafting so mm-hmm. I just I got permanent Botox on one side of my face to be tight as opposed to being as flexible as it should be um, but when um, a week after the accident I saw my face for the first time and I went I'd gone into the toilet unassisted for the first time and looked up at the wash basin into the mirror and I did not recognize myself my face was twice its normal size black mm. blue lost all the skin down here two eyes all the capillaries broken and in that moment if I'm brutally honest I wanted to die mm-hmm. my as we've discussed my upbringing hasn't been the easiest I left home before I was 16 and ended up on the streets put myself through high school got into university found my way back to acting which was my passion and I was ready to throw all of that away because my packaging no longer looked perfect. Mm -hmm. I was ready to go back to my room and have, you know, my greatest wish was that a nurse could just come in and give me sleeping pills and I could just end it right then and there. Mm. So I had to ask myself a really important question and that was, 
why was I an actor in the first place? Mm. Was it so that I could tell people's stories, let them walk in my shoes vicariously for just a moment and live another life that they might not have access to otherwise mm -hmm. and to entertain them with this, those stories? Or was it so I could look sexy on the cover of a magazine? Mm. The answer was clearly the former. Mm -hmm. But it was a pivotal question because I'd been indoctrinated into an industry which values you on your looks, first yep. and foremost, especially when you're a young actress coming into a world where it's all about the smokes and mirrors of appearance. And that accident, accident forced me to address the fact that all I had to offer and all the talent, everything I'd worked for, I equated and diminished and diluted in accordance with how the world saw me, how they perceived my appearance. I equated my value and all I had to offer with the way I looked. And that was a critical realisation for me at 21 years old. And it completely changed the trajectory of my career because I realised if I was prepared to sacrifice all of that because I had a couple of broken teeth and a dodgy eyebrow and a bruised face, <laughs> I didn't deserve to have all of that in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I believed I deserved it. I'd worked so hard to get mm -hmm. to where I was. Mm -hmm. And if I truly wanted to be a storyteller, I just had to I just had to mix up the way I did it. Maybe I could be a director, a story writer. Maybe I could work behind the camera. Maybe I could go into writing. Maybe I could just play the phantom of the opera and have a mask on my face <laughs> you know if I, if I thought that I was a character actor then go full play Cosimodo you know yeah invest in that go beyond the necessity of the perfect facade and delve into the depths of quantity that is beneath that um, I realized that the way we look makes up that much of who we are mm -hmm. and if we're prepared to shove yeah, all we have to offer all of our ambitions all of our dreams into that much then, my God, what legacy are we leaving for our children and their children's children if we populate the world with people who define themselves by that much of who they are? Mm -hmm. If that is all we are, then where are the great thinkers? Where are the scientists? You know, I, I, I just, as much as it's easy to be inculcated into that notion of being concerned about the way we look and how we present, I'm going to call BS on it because... We have a, young, a generation of young people who are the harbingers of change, that they are our future leaders, and they're spend, spending all of their time pimping and primping and preparing mm -hmm. themselves for the world that ostensibly, but just by doing that, they're allowing that world to judge them on the shape of their nose and mm -hmm. the shape of their ass and their tits and, and their waist and, and judging their IQ in inverse proportion to the, their cup size. That's bullshit. Right, right, right. Where, are the, where is the next Theodore Roosevelt? Where is the next Isaac Newton? Where is the next Albert Einstein? If they're all too worried getting the lighting right and, and making sure their makeup's perfect. Bullshit. Where there is so isn't much. Isn't it society, though, that's doing that? Like, isn't it what we see uh, mirrored back to us? Like, I absolutely agree with you 100%. When you're 16, 15, 17, and your brain is a fertile environment to accept all these images and all this noise and all this narrative of like, you must look a certain way. And then it, that equates to you being enough. We are, we are, we are ripe for that to become our ideology as women. And how do we change that? Is it really start with within? And then you really have to ask 
your kids, are they strong enough to be able to do that mm-hmm. as, as a 16 year old? Or does it really start with the society and what we put on covers of magazines and what we put on the billboards and who we, who we put on TV? Like, like you were saying, I still am yet, you see a sprinkling of it, but I'm still yet to see a normal bodied woman in a sex scene with her cellulite, with her butt out, with her boobs that are a little saggy because she breastfeed fed. I am still yet to see that. And until Absolutely. I see that, I will feel abnormal. I will hate that Absolutely. my stomach is not so is like a little saggy. I'll hate yeah. that my boobs aren't like under my chin. Until we see that consistently, not just like, oh, you know, it's like a, we're making it, you know, we're really, uh, uh, this show is about body positivity and we've made the entire narrative of the show a body positive show and it just becomes the norm. Mm -hmm. That is the only time that we will start to believe that we are enough and we're okay. So anyway, that's just my guess. You're 100% right. And we, and we do mirror society, but the same is true in reflection. That society mirrors us. That if we're still yeah. buying those magazines, yeah. if we're still yeah. subscribing yeah. to yeah. those yeah. that show those images, if we as parents are passing on to our children our own insecurities, yeah. and if we continue to say to our kids, you can be anything, reach for the stars, while well, we go off to a job that we hate and we present ourselves in a manner that takes more mm. effort than should ever be required, then nothing will change. Mm-hmm. And it changes in small ways by people being able to... Uh, satire their own struggles to look perfect and Mm -hmm. if we can maybe follow the european model of filmmaking where we do see women of age Mm -hmm. who look like they are their age having sexual relations with men that whom they genuinely enjoy and those sexual relations looking real not like porn Mm-hmm. That is where the dialogue starts. It starts at the grassroots. It starts in our homes. It starts with us setting a blueprint for our children, for what it means to live a fulfilling life, a, a life rich with wellness and fulfilling our own dreams. The, the moment we as mothers and fathers throw our own lives and ambitions down the toilet to become mama and papa as opposed mm-hmm. to Madeline and Tamman and Roxy, mm-hmm. that is where the rot sets in. If we tell our children, you know what, I'm Madeline, who is your mum, and that is the most exemplary thing, the most, the, the greatest gift and the most fulfilling role I could ever ask for, but I'm also Madeline the actor mm-hmm. who needs to go off occasionally and do jobs and you might not see me for a couple of days and I'm Madeline the author who needs time to go into her study and concentrate while she's writing mm-hmm. and I am Madeline the partner who has someone in her life who fulfills her. I need to give oxygen to all those Madelines to be the best Madeline I can be. And to be, if I'm the best Madeline I can be, then I'm the best mum I can be. And if they understand that from the beginning, that your mum, that I, you are mum and I am the sun and you orbit around me and everything in the world orbits around me, we're setting them, them on a trajectory towards a fulfilling life, which means you don't always get what you want, but you have to fight for what you want. Mm-hmm. The world is not here to satisfy your needs. Yes. You have to give back to the world. And that comes back to, you know what, your your value in the world is not quantified purely on this, that there is so much more than that. And so that's where it starts. It starts at the grassroots. It starts in, in the home. And I think a part of that is demonstrating to our children that um, the path is not easy and sometimes sacrifices are involved that hurt and that involves trauma at times. Fact is our kids are going to experience trauma. We can't helicopter them and we can't wrap them in a yeah. 
Like, we can only it, show them how to get through trauma, which yeah. I think is so important. It shows them how to right? They're going to be, they're going to go through pain. They're going to go through pain. They're going to go through trauma. But for me, you know, I felt so guilty as a mom when I would go off and have to go to like a work event and do a red carpet and I'd be leaving my (laughs) daughter and she would say, you know, mommy, you have to go to work. And I would turn around and I would say to her, no, I want to go to work. You know, this is like something that I'm very passionate about. And I want you to also find something you're passionate about in life that makes you happy and that you enjoy, you know, because for so long I couldn't reconcile the two. I was like, God, I feel guilty. I don't want to leave her, you know, but then, you know, I feel like I have, I want to do my job. So it's kind of like that struggle of, you know, the back and forth, but I do think so much of it starts at home, you know, and like how we kind of teach them, even if the world around us isn't caught up with what we're saying, I think like creating that nest at home is so important and just being, you know, Mm -hmm giving them that reassurance Absolutely. and everything. But it, and embracing but I, necessary pain, which is yes. a critical part of life. But you know what? We can't hide them from the fact that mummy and daddy are divorcing. We can't hide them from the fact that I'm having a bit of a crisis of conscience about my work mm-hmm. life. We can't hide them from the fact that I really love what I do. And if that means sometimes peeling away from the other thing that I really love, which mm-hmm. is being your mum, I'm going to come back. But what you're seeing, I'm providing a blueprint for an empowered woman mm-hmm. who's making choices not just for the, for the well-being of her children and her immediate family and her community, but for herself. That when I lift myself, I lift my family, I lift my society, I lift the world at large. And maybe one of those elements of necessary pain is feeling a bit self-conscious because I don't look like the norm, Mm -hmm. because I haven't done everything that society asks me to do to be accepted as a 40-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. have the flawless skin and the perfect brow, all those things that I'd like to have, and maybe I will have. There's no shame in it. Mm -hmm. But let's accept that that is something I'm doing for me to make me feel good than saying Mm -hmm. this is the norm and this is what you must be in order to have value. Mm -hmm. My daughter last night, though, she was in the shower and she said, um, she said, and that just broke me. And I thought, God, I need to go back to therapy. Um, she, I was, in, I was in the shower with her, with my two girls. And she's like, when's daddy? So daddy was going to get me a veggie burger from across the road. And she said, when's daddy going to get back? And I said, he's just going to go get a, a veggie burger from across the road. He'll be back in five minutes. And I said, why? And she goes, well, I miss him. And I said, well, that's that's OK to miss him. But I'm here. I'll keep you safe. Mm. And she said, yeah, but daddy's with me more. And you're not around as much. Oh, my goodness. And I went, you know, because my reactive brain mm-hmm. went straight to like aggression because I felt fear and pain and, you know, sadness. I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not here all the time because I'm, you know, the, every, you know, where you live is because I'm working my butt off. And, and then I calm myself down and I just said, look, I understand how you're feeling right now. Um I'm doing what I love to do. It doesn't mean that I love you any less. And I will be with you in two weeks time, every single day, every moment of the day. And I will give you everything that I can give you, but I'm not going to lie. It didn't feel good. And I don't know if it's ever going to feel good when your daughter says like, well, you're not around as much as my other parents. And I know Mm -hmm. it's not a competition. Um, But it's like, again, we have this narrative that mothers should be the ones that our children are calling for when they're sick or in the middle Mm -hmm. of the night. So then when they start calling for their fathers, it's like, well, how when did I fail? Like, when Mm -hmm. did I 
you know, when did I screw up this, you know, yeah. yeah. When did I drop the ball? Like, what could Mm -hmm. I do better? And I remember on like on Thursday night, I just kept saying to him, I promise I'll be a better wife and mother. I promise you I'll be a better wife and mother. And I don't know why my insecurity crept in at that moment, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I hadn't put the time into my family because I was doing something that, you know, is 12 to 14 hours a day and, Mm -hmm. and, and feeding that part of my soul. And I goes back to like, I don't think you can have it all at the same time. Can you have it all? Sure. Can you have it all at the same time? I don't think so. Especially not for women, Mm -hmm. because I feel like my husband, when he works, has no guilt. Yeah. No. And I think that that is a biological imperative because they're Mm -hmm. part of our bodies. They're part of our bodies. And we live in a society that's, that is, told us that they need to be close and attached for as long as possible. That is not a biological or physiological truth. From the time they're about five, they still need the care, but it doesn't just have to be the mother. And the the, the problem is that we don't live in the village that our ancestors lived in. We lived in, we might have had 30 contacts in our entire life but they were close and they were family and everyone had a specific role and everyone was necessary in raising a child. As mothers, we're asked to take on all those 30 roles ourselves. And at the same time, our society, our village, the people that we will make contact with, meaningful contact with in a lifetime is up in the thousands. And every one of them become a mirror for who we are as a woman, as a woman, and what we compare ourselves to them and what they achieve. But we don't have the support of a village underneath Mm -mm. us. So we can't do it all because we don't have we don't have that societal societal support system that we once had. Mm -hmm. We feel like we're so connected in this age of the cyber highway where we can reach out to anyone at any time of day and they will come back to us. But we're more disconnected than we've ever been because the friendships that we have that we play out in the cyberspace ether are, they're not real. There's a real person on the other end of it. But if you called them at any one time and said, this is happening, they're not going to rock up on your doorstep with a cup of tea and a box of chocolates. Mm -mm. That's not the reality of it, but that's what we need. So I think on a critical level, we need to recreate villages. And I've decided I'm going to start book clubs. I'm going to start. Oh, I love that. Of people. I've decided that my wish list is going to be people who I want to know better. And it has to be physical. And I've decided I'm going to set them up in every little outpost I have in my life. I'll have one in Melbourne. I'll have one in Byron. I'm going to have one with you, Tammy. And when I get, when I set up my page tonight, <laughs> you're coming too, Roxy. All I'll right. That sense of- I just have, to- I have to have time to read a book. <laughs> well, you don't That's my even biggest have to problem. It's a reason to gather. It's a reason yes, to yes. gather. We've lost the ability to gather. We gather on these. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. gathering doesn't have the power that it used to have because the whole reason we gathered was so we could share our stories in truth, in person, and support each other. So we can have it all if we have a system of people we can delegate to. And we as women have become very bad at doing that because we buy into the social dialogue that says, you need to do it all, you need to do it all the time. We're now doing the jobs of 30 people at once. And we still have all the guilt that when our little people say to us, but you're not here as much. It's like, you know what? If we went back to our historical antecedents, 
the bathing would be done by the grandmother and the feeding would be done by the aunt and the bedtime story would be done by my sister-in-law mm-hmm. and I would do the birthing and the feeding and that would be it and the mm-hmm. loving. Mm-hmm. And, the the loving. Love. and it doesn't matter how far away we are, the power of our love is never diminished. It's never diluted. It's mm-hmm. just the social dialogue that tells us that it mm-hmm. is. That if you're not there holding their hand and wiping their nose and cutting their lunch, that you somehow love them less. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, I love them more because I'm providing a blueprint. I'm giving them a role model for what it means to be a powerful person mm-hmm. who is striving mm-hmm. to be their best. And if that means that certain Certain aspects of my life don't get as much oxygen as they need sometimes. That's okay because when I come back to that, I come back to it with focus, without resentment, and I come to it with fulfilment and contentment. And I feel Mm -hmm. for me in the long term that is what my children need more than anything and that's what they'll remember. They don't need a mother who's a doormat. Mm -hmm. They need a mother who's a leader. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, the, that's the driving to see myself as. <laughs> that's the hardest part though the hardest part i think is also letting go of that guilt and not feeling mm-hmm. like okay if i'm he- not here right now then you know i'm being a bad mother or <laughs> i'm not giving 100 percent to work so how the, mm-hmm. how do we reconcile that and not feel guilty and not kick ourselves acceptance I guess yeah well you know you know what but I feel like too a lot of times it's other moms that make us feel right so not yeah not putting other people down or making comments or no but but that'll I do believe that women who do that mothers that do that is because there's like this discord within themselves Mm -hmm. and it's like I always There's say to you, I always say, like, I've said this a million times on the show, unhappiness is the fastest pipeline to hate. People who are unhappy with or guilty within mm-hmm. themselves for the choices that they've made, maybe they're in a happy marriage, maybe they're having, you know, postpartum depression. They start to judge other people based on how how little they feel about themselves. And I do it when I'm at my low points that's when I judge. Mm -hmm. That's when I start to pick people apart. That's when I look at people on social media and go, oh, look at that person. She thinks she's got this, she's got that, but she's really Mm -hmm. this. I, and I have to check myself and realize my triggers that like when I'm feeling shitty about who I am, where I'm at in my life, I will start to put other people down. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I, I hear, you know, people in the circles, like gossip, Mm -hmm. gossip is just a way to make you try to feel better about your own existence and your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you a bit of a hit. It gives you yeah, a little bit of It's a like you get that dopamine hit, right? But then ultimately you don't, it never lasts. No, of course not. It just it just demonstrates back to you how dis, discordant your own life is. Mm-hmm. And I'm absolutely yeah. convinced yeah. that every person walking this world at this moment in some way feels insecure, mm-hmm. feels like they're not doing it right. And that just comes yep. from the burden yeah. of being of living complicated lives where there are so many options there are so many opportunities we're constantly feeling like i'm not fulfilling my potential i'm not doing enough i'm not being enough um rather than the focus coming from within just going but i'm here and i'm doing me and i'm doing Mm -hmm. it the best that i can we're all waiting to be found out that we're frauds they were all somehow faking it. And the good things we have in our life, we haven't really deserved or earned. Every single person, high or low, is feeling crushed by 
the simple act of being. And again, mm. I'm going to come back to the way our lived lives historically, the world that we were birthed into was so much simpler. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have 30 people in your immediate circumference and they're all the people you're going to meet in your life, that's a very small pool to compare yourself to. We, we've got the entire planet to compare ourselves to. Every photoshopped mm-hmm. image, every woman who's, you know, running for the White House and has also got eight kids that she's mm-hmm. bringing up and half of them orphans and saving the world. We've got such a comparative study. And I guess how do you... How, I guess some, we need to learn how to tune out, to tune in to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But if but we it's so hard with social media, right? It's so hard with social media constantly barraging us with these images and you can't help but feel yeah. insecure or yeah. like what you're and doing. It's so hard. And it's so hard to say, well, I'm just going to turn off because then you're right. not up to date right. with yeah. the world. So it takes a brave person to go, actually, I'm just going to step out for a while mm-hmm. and i reckon you know, if we can make, each make ourselves a promise once a week one day a week to just switch off maybe mm-hmm. that's, the key, that's where we begin mm-hmm. to totally switch off and just and whether that means getting all woo woo and meditating in the morning or having a glass of chardonnay before breakfast or tantra and- sex which we have to talk about because you practice tantra there's so many oh. things i need to talk out and you're, Ooh, you're leaving in five minutes and i don't know how to do it we're gonna have to have you back you I, people don't even know this you are mother of six kids <laughs> twins you practice tantra like <laughs> there's so many things we need to talk about but um before before you go because i know we only have you for a couple minutes can we please explain to our audience about tantra and how you got into okay, tantra yes. and how it's completely changed your sex life please <laughs> well, you know what let's not for- to begin with, the very the modus operandi of Tantra is not about sex, it's about connection. Mm. So there's different schools of Tantra going from the white, which is all just about connecting with other people in your world mm. and connecting with yourself all the way through to the red, which is the sexy chan. No, <laughs> By the way, Madeline's had sex so many, her boyfriends went up this weekend and I'm like, you know, she's like, I've had sex so many times this week. I mean, this last two days, everything's going to fall off. And I was like, it. way to make someone feel worse <laughs> she's had sex like <laughs> like six, six 20 times i don't know 62 times I don't know. <laughs> when your partner can, is a master of tantra it can go on for hours <laughs> who has time for that who has time to work I out i don't have time for that i'm doing out. a movie i've got kids <laughs> i'm gonna do i'm gonna do life but um it has taught me more than anything to connect with myself mm, as a yeah. sexual being. Yeah. I talked about this earlier, you know, the European modality of, of filmmaking where you actually see people in the ugliness of pleasure. Mm-hmm. Where the face mm-hmm. and the noises aren't necessarily appealing, but they're sexy because someone is enjoying themselves. Yes. The sensuality of self-pleasure. Mm-hmm. is a really powerful and heinously overlooked component of what it is to be human. That, mm-hmm. you know, we take pleasure from another person's pleasure. No other animals in the animal kingdom save, some kingdom save from, I think, bonobo monkeys and mm-hmm. dolphins. They're the only ones who do it. It's part mm-hmm. of our really? higher being, elemental, intrinsic, instinctive oh. part of being human. Oh. Yeah. So we need to learn to invest in that, not so not worry so much about how do I look in this moment, how do I sound in this moment? And mm-hmm. my God, that means mitigating and, and very carefully navigating the world of 
porn culture. And that's available to everyone and anyone from a very young age. And it's terrifying that sex education this day and age for young women and young men comes from porn that mm. sets up a dialogue for young boys. This is what a girl should, looks like, should look like to be considered sexy. And a girl thinks, well, that's how I need to look and that's how I need to act to be mm. sexy. Mm -hmm. But the doctrines of Tantra are all, uh, there is nothing about... There is nothing in it about that um, the physical in terms of appearance. Mm -hmm. That is so far down the realms of appealing, of what is considered appealing, it's not funny. And anyone who, who delves into Tantra understands it's all about the simple rules of consent mm -hmm. and asking for what you want. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can begin that communication, that dialogue, mm -hmm. at the beginning of any sexual interaction, you're looking at sexual satisfaction from the very A lot of people beginning. don't know what they want. And I think maybe yeah. that's the first start to figure yeah. out like, you know, self-pleasure is yeah. still, I mean, it's getting, it's getting more wild, like talked about, but it's still yeah. kind of taboo to even Especially say for you know, women. female pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people don't know. I have tons of DMs saying, you know, I don't know what I want or mm -hmm. what feels good. And that is the first step to being able to tell someone yeah. else what you enjoy. And being able to identify that has its genesis in the most simple of acts, which can be, which is eye contact. Giving mm -hmm. across from someone, don't even touch them. Just look at them. I'm doing it now. We're doing it. <laughs> compliment, you know, the, the sparkle in their eyes, compliment their smile, compliment mm. the way they hold their face, compliment the way. The, the I'm waiting, Tamman. I'm waiting. Yeah, I'm bringing that, showing that to you. <laughs> gorgeous smile and joy that radiates out of your body. And then ask, is it okay if I touch your cheek? Is it okay if I touch your neck? Um, the art of intimacy comes down to asking for being specific. Could you run your finger along the outline of my of my? I'm cheek? totally getting turned on right now. And you know why? Because consent <laughs> is like what you're saying. Consent. I guess we don't ever. Ask. I mean, I guess we feel like we're consenting yeah, to everything during so, sex, but you're being so touched okay. in a way you're like, oh, I don't even know if that's what I I want right in this moment. How are you? Your body tells you your body never lies. Words lie, but words yes, skip yes. around the truth. They put icing on a cake. The cake is in the body. The body will tell you. If something makes you freeze up mm -hmm. and recoil, mm -hmm. it's wrong. If something makes you open and juicy, it's right. You know what? That is one of the first things that turned me on about my husband because the very first time he ever even kissed me he asked me if he could kiss me first he was like would it be he's like may i, I think he said it is so kiss you. cute and I sexy like okay how about a little more <laughs> yeah it opens the gateway and the kiss right. is so important right it is so powerful that touching of lips all of those nerve endings in that one sensual place and our lips are so connected to mm -hmm. our reproductive organs, shall we say, our pleasure mm. organs, the stimulus is immediate. And if someone's a bad kisser, straight out mm. the door. But How do you get your partner on board, though? I know your partner was into this and got you on board, which obviously you're so open to every to, to most things I can tell that is, that is pleasurable and good for your soul. But a lot of people, like if women want to start trying this, how do you get a guy on board when they're just, mm. again, their, I'm using that word narrative again of sex is just like 
pleasure, do the things that you're meant to do step by step and then, you know, finish. So like, how do you get them on board to actually hold that sexual feeling for a while? Because a lot of men don't want to do that. Well, I guess from a woman speaking to a man, you can speak to what appealed to the most and that's, Mm. it's going to make it so much better. It's going to turn me on. It's going to help us both last longer. Interesting. And that's yes. an, that, that look, you know, from my experience, that speaks to the masculine id of I want to be, I want to be the master of my of my domain. I want to be, <laughs> be the lion. You know, I want to be the lover, and I want to feel that I'm satisfying my woman. That's an important part of, um, I guess, you could call it territorial pissing. You know, is <laughs> 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 that a horrible phrase? But like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more significant partner in the relationship and it will dilute my insecurities if I know without question that I'm pleasuring my partner. You know, that is a great point. That is, that is a great point because I know, um, I'm sure Madeline, you're probably the same, but Tamman and I talk about this, about being alpha, you know, in our lives, like Mm -hmm, as far as mm -hmm. work goes and parenting and really being that, you know, out there strong woman that when it comes to the bedroom, it's refreshing it's, and nice to not be that person. Yeah. So that's a great tool to let go of that, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And a, a key component component of tantric is understanding the roles of the feminine and the masculine. Mm-hmm. And there there is shadow and light in the feminine and the masculine. And look, a, a complete man and a complete woman is able to integrate both both their feminine and their masculine and keep it out of the shadows. And this is a huge conversation which we don't have time for now. But the the masculine in the shadow is um, is totalitarian and rigid and and not fluid and won't listen to people. But the light side of the masculine is you're a leader. You get things done. You make necessary sacrifices and you guide people into things that they, like, you know, the army sergeant who guides their... their their um their troop into battle knowing that the outcome might not be great but on the other end it's for the greater good Mm. that is the true notion of a masculine and a woman and a man can both play that role but women are consistently castigated for being the alpha Mm -hmm. for being the masculine going into the world of tantra helps you better understand both roles and to find the light in both roles and let you play the role that you need to play so speaking to a man it helps a, a woman better harness her feminine it helps a man better harness his masculine mm. and let those two aspects flower and bear fruit so to speak Ooh. um so in that way that's one way to introduce your partner to delving into that world because it certainly lets you be a woman Mm-hmm. Madeline, I'm really sad we have to let you go, but I please know. come back because yes. there's so many oh more things to talk about. To talk about. I know we haven't even scratched the surface yet. We need to get in there more. We need to get in there. Yeah. We need to get in there, mate. Well, uh, Madeline and I will see each other in 20 minutes on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We so appreciate you and uh, we can't wait to have you back. And Madeline, where can everybody find you? I'm I'm in. Oh, I'm on Instagram at Mad Mads West. Mm -hmm. And my own podcast is about to start up with Mamma Mia, which is a fabulous Australian network all about women. So check us out there. Very nice. That's how I got. 
Yeah. And guys, don't forget to rate, subscribe and comment. And we are Women on Top Official on Instagram. And Women on Top Podcast on Facebook. And we have a group on... on um, it's been a while. Ah, on my Clubhouse. God. Oh, my Clubhouse. On Clubhouse. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much for everything and being here throughout our whole journey. I am Tamin Sursok. And I am Roxy Manning. Thank we you. Are Bye. Women. Thank you. Bye, uh, women on, on top. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.